Nope. There it is. Check. Yes. What's up, Mountainside? Good morning. Did anyone listen to my mixtape this week? Oh, you did. That makes that's that's good. Thank you. Uh, I, I made a Facebook account so that I could tell everyone about this sermon, and then I posted a mix to the for a Spotify mix to the uh, church Insta- or Facebook page, um, and I'll explain that in a minute. We're talking about Psalm 124. We've been talking about the Psalms all throughout the summer. And I don't have the psalm, I don't have this psalm on the the slides, but um, I will uh, read it for you. O Israel, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, the raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the word of the Lord. Mountainside, I was praying for you all week. And I don't say that in like the politician hopes and prayers way. I really was praying for you. Um, Josh mentioned last week that there's a conflict in our church. And that conflict does not directly relate to me. But it's not a very big church, so I know about that conflict. And so I've been praying for you all. Because I know that's not easy. I was praying one day, and I was just so distracted in my fifth period government class. I was supposed to be teaching on the Constitution, and I was just somewhere else. And my students noticed, and I said, sorry, I'm really distracted today. I said, I'm thinking about some friends of mine who aren't getting along. And the class got really quiet. You know, high school students can be very sweet, sweeter than I remember when I was in high school. But it got very quiet, and then a kid said, it's probably over a woman. <laughs> I said, nothing even close to that, I promise. I also, this week, was thinking a lot about three specific years in my life, from 2005 to 2008. And I'm going to talk about some things from those years. I was attending a Lutheran church in Morgan Hill, California. I was working at a group home where I had to take students to AA meetings um, every night. And so I was learning about AA as I was taking students there. And my favorite band at the time was this band, Fugazi. This was what my mixtape was. It was Fugazi songs. And I'm going to tell you about them in a second. These years for me were some of the most difficult years of my life. A lot of conflict in those years. But they were years that I grew a lot. I look at these years as years that I was relearning my faith because it was um, coming out of college and, and kind of coming into my own, living on my own. 
like not with roommates, but like on my own, working this intense job. And it was a Christian group home, and I would go to, I was working with other Christians who were really diverse. Um, sometimes, if this is a thing, like painfully different because we would have struggles in how we interpreted the faith. But the, those three years of my life were also like some of the most fun years, and again, like years that I just grew a ton. I'm so thankful for them. So when Warren shares on a Sunday morning, you're going to hear about neuroscience and possibly fly fishing. <laughs> More the latter than the former, and we're all thankful for that. When Gabe Cabrera shares on a Sunday morning, there's going to be a track and field talk. <laughs> track and field athletes like Gabe, like myself. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. <laughs> but it's, you know, th th there's easy metaphors there for the faith. And so when I share on a Sunday morning, you get to hear about the history of 1990s punk rock music. That's my metaphor today. And I... I I really mean this, I have been waiting 20 years to use the story of Fugazi as a metaphor in a sermon. I was like, someday somebody's going to ask me to share, and Fugazi is going to be the perfect uh, uh, metaphor for that Sunday. So when I talk about music this morning, or when I talk about being in a band, the metaphor I want you to hear is that playing music with your friends is similar to being in a church. Or at least, for me, the way Fugazi approached playing in a band is the way I wanted my faith to play out, and I'll tell you why in a second. There is nothing better, or almost nothing better, in my mind, than playing music with my friends. It is one of the greatest joys in my life. Athletes, I'm sure, can relate to this when you are on a team with people you like, and you have a goal, and you're doing well, it's just this great feeling of accomplishment. I love playing music with my friends. I will love playing music with my friends <clears throat> Friday, September 15th, 10 o'clock, Pasadena <laughs> at the Old Town Pub. <laughs> Just out of, for example. <laughs> Fugazi, when they got together in 1986, they said, we didn't want to form a band. We just wanted to play music with each other. And while they were, uh, they, they were already kind of famous musicians from previous bands, and, and they said, we didn't want to form a band. We just wanted to play music together. But because they were in a small community, other people wanted to hear them. And so they said, we're going to have to go out and play in front of people. And so we want to do it in a way that makes us comfortable. That's Guy Picciotto, Joe Lally, Brendan Canty, and my personal hero, Ian Mackay. They formed in 1986 in Washington, DC. They had been in other important DC punk bands like Teen Idols, Minor Threat, and Rites of Spring. They said it was important as they formed that the people coming to see them play were comfortable in the environment. See, in the 1960s and 70s, political musicians like Neil Young and John Lennon had major commercial success writing rebellious anti-establishment songs, but not much in the world actually changed as a result of their careers. The punk music movement of the 70s and 80s promised rebellion, but really produced a new movement in which rebellion was synonymous with self-destruction. Many teens in the punk movement believed that rebellion against society meant heavy intoxication, self-mutilation, violence, 
refusing to take care of yourself or better your station in any way. And Fugazi said, we want nothing of the Neil Young and we want nothing of the self-mutilation part. Fugazi quickly became known as much for their ethical stance as they did for their music. They had a do-it-yourself attitude. It was their approach of pragmatic and simple living to the joy of making music with your friends. They only charged $6 for CDs and $5 for a ticket to their concert. Who paid $300 for Taylor Swift this month? <laughs> you could have seen Fugazi for five bucks. Um, because they remembered what it was like to be 14 year old, years old and not allowed to enter a bar to see their favorite bands, they refused to play bars. Every Fugazi show ever was all ages. Children were always welcome. And because children and teens and women and intellectuals and introverts and people under 150 pounds were at their concerts, Fugazi asked concert attendees to not participate in the raucous, violent, football-style mosh pitting that had come to signify punk and heavy metal shows of that era. Like, in their schools where they went, the biggest kids were the bullies, and they would beat people up, right? And then you go out on the street and the biggest, toughest kids are the bullies. And they said, if we're gonna have a punk scene, it's gotta be different in here. We can't have the biggest people running into each other while the, the, the girlfriends hold leather jackets in the back of the room. That's not, that's not what we wanna create. Since they didn't play bars or clubs, they played benefits for organizations like the Washington Free Clinic, the Whitman Walker AIDS Clinic, free shows at juvenile detention facilities, and anti-Iraq war demonstrations in front of the White House. Many of their concerts were, were um, put on along with the help of a group called Positive Force DC. It was a youth organization led by DC social worker, author, and radical Catholic Mark Anderson. They did not make merchandise or t-shirts because what do t-shirts have to do with playing music with your friends? This led to the humorous effort of their fans who would make their own shirts that said, this is not a Fugazi shirt and wear them to the to shows. <laughs> When um, they started to get more popular, Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine often raved about their albums. And they would come to Fugazi for an interview and Fugazi would say, we will do an interview with your band if you can do an issue without alcohol or tobacco ads. And since those magazines exploit countercultural artists to get big dollars from Anheuser-Busch and Philip Morris, those magazines never got to interview Fugazi. Fugazi would you know, do interviews with local, local like, like uh, independent zines and things like that. You would assume that all of this would kill a band, like would destroy any momentum that they had. But they are undoubtedly one of the most influential bands musically and culturally of the 1990s. You may not have heard of them, but they are probably one of your favorite rock band's favorite rock band. Major label artists like Pearl Jam, Foo Fighters, Ryan Adams, and Blink-182 have all praised Fugazi's influence. In the 1980s and 90s, they were offered multi-million dollar contracts from the decade's biggest labels, and they turned them down every time. Uh, I, I don't even, I mean, I'm sure Coachella has offered them millions of dollars to come reunite, and they will not do it. What's kind of funny about all this is that um, when they did talk to journalists, journalists didn't know how to approach them. They didn't know like what to talk to them about. And so they would come to them and they would ask them questions about like, 
so what are your political thoughts on the third world? Or you know, what are you eating on tour? Or um, you know, what are you, you know, tell us about your thoughts on uh, the peace movement. And Fugazi would get super annoyed because they were like, we're really just, we just want to be in a band. We just want to be in a band. Like, leave us alone. Um, independent journalists would come to them all the time and say, that's not it. <laughs> so what exactly is Fugazi about? And it's funny, almost like a journalist who's used to interviewing rock stars, people living in excess would come interview these four guys from Washington, D.C. and not know how to approach them. What, what exactly are you all about? And their answer was really simple. Fugazi is about being a band. In fact, in this quote from Ian Mackay, he goes on, he says, the nature of the music business is to make money. That's fine. For a lot of people, that's their art. Their art is making money or hyping things. And they're even really good at it. It's almost even respectable how good they are at it. They make something and then make a million people immediately want to buy it. That's amazing. But that has nothing to do with Fugazi. That's a different thing altogether. I used to think about this quote a lot, again, 2005 to 2008, when I would talk to my coworkers about where they were going to church. And I would say, why did you choose so, such and such church? And they would say, oh, well, the pastor is hilarious. Or they have really, really great music. There's a lot of young singles there, and I'm young and single, and so I want to meet singles. They have a good coffee house or a bookstore. And my thoughts, eventually, because I'm judgmental, <laughs> were... <laughs> Those are all terrible reasons to attend a church. No offense, Josh, I think you're funny. I like you. <laughs> but like, what does any of that have to do with following Jesus and taking the Eucharist together? The singles, the how funny the pastor is, the, the music, the light show, whatever. This is the time where I was relearning my faith and thinking, this just about being in a band. I, I need to get rid of all the other distractions that keep me from this. I don't want that. I don't want the show. If I can give, if you will let me for a second talk about another 90s band as like the antithesis to Fugazi. Please, Gabe's into this. Um, in 2004, um, the band Metallica made a documentary. It's one of the best music documentaries ever. And they're, they're making an album, and in the middle of making the album, James, the singer, has a, a sort of a breakdown. He gets up and he walks out, and he leaves the band for 18 months. And while he's gone, he deals with his alcoholism, he kind of reconnects with his family. Um, he kind of tells the band, I just need time to like get back to myself. And they're filming the documentary in the middle of this, and they filmed the day that he walks in after 18 months of departure. And they sit down, and one of the first things he says, he says, I'm, I'm frust I was frustrated because Metallica used to be four guys playing in a garage. And now we have lawyers and a website. We're suing Napster. We have uh, 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 t-shirt sales to worry about. 
We have to let people listen to our album before we release it to make sure it's not going to offend anyone. We, uh, you know, they, the, the, one of the funniest parts of the documentary is that they bring in a, a performance coach from Major League Baseball to coach the band through being a band. And he's like, what is this? Like, I was 17 with my best friends playing music, and now it's a business, it's an entity, and I don't want to be a part of that anymore. From 2005 to 2008, I was uh, going to Advent Lutheran Church in Morgan Hill. I love this church so much. I still love this church. Um, this is the time that my friends were, you know, into the singles and the cool music and all that. And Advent Lutheran Church was an aging congregation. They were, average age was probably early to mid-70s. I was the young person there. Um, I, I don't think, I, I did not like this, but I really think that when I walked in the door, I was like a young person here, like he's come to like lead us into the future, or whatever it was, because as soon as I came, they were like, you've got to be on the board, you've got to be on leadership, you've got to do all these things. My, my, my friend there, Tom, passed away this last year. Um, Tom is the person who I, I went out to breakfast with and told him I was gonna to propose to Laura. Tom, I had dinner at Tom's uh, house with his wife Judith every Friday night. Tom was like my elder mentor there. And you gotta think about what a church, you know, this is a really common issue in America. Multi-million dollar properties, which is what Advent Lutheran was, with aging congregations and people wondering what is the future all about? Like, What's gonna happen in the future? Where are we gonna go? Young people don't wanna come here. And so they would get in arguments about the service. The service was a really traditional Lutheran service with a choir, actually a really good choir. But there were other people like the youth pastor who wanted progressive music. We've gotta have some drums. We've gotta have electric guitar. We've gotta be singing the new songs. And I had no opinion about any of those things because I just liked being a part of this church. I liked the relationships. I liked the Eucharist every Sunday. Well, I grew up not taking Eucharist every Sunday, and that had become really important to me. I liked the wisdom of the, the older people there and, and getting to hear that. Um, but we would, you know, we would gather for a leadership meeting or a board meeting, and it would just turn into this argument about how are we going to get young people in the building. And I remember one time thinking about Fugazi and being at church and saying, what if we didn't worry about bringing in young people, but we ministered to the elderly congregation here? What would that look like? And they thought about it and they said, we've got to figure out a way to pay for this building. We're we're getting old, like our children don't attend this church anymore. What are we gonna do about the building? It was really sad. The subtext of all those conversations around the future and, and, and how are we gonna get young people here and, and, and how are we gonna pay for the building, the subtext of all that was an aging congregation, people who are facing death, really. And that's one of the most important things I think we as Christians can do is help each other go through changes and that ultimate change of growing older, passing away.
I mean, that's, you know, we talk about like baptism, you know, baptized into death with Christ and, and raised with Christ. And, and, and so I really wanted for Advent Lutheran Church to be comfortable with being an aging congregation and minister to one another in that. I remember sitting in a leadership meeting and the youth pastor, my friend Janet, who I loved, um, she, we weren't even talking about music, but she, she drug us all into the music discussion. And she basically said, here I stand, I'm not gonna move from this place. If we don't, if we don't have uh, more progressive music, I just don't think there's any hope for this church. And sitting right next to my good friend Tom, he said, well, if, if the choir is gone from this church, I'm not coming back. And I thought, ah, like, walk with each other through this. I told you that um, at the time I was going to a lot of AA meetings with students, and I remember one night at AA, uh, a man standing up almost with tears in his eyes, and he said, I am here at AA because alcoholism is trying to kill me. And if I don't come to AA, it's going to kill me. And he said, I, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry if I seem gruff or if I don't connect with all of you or whatever, but I have to be here. And I was always trying to think, like, what is the, there has to be a church equivalent to that. Of like, if I'm not here, I'm dying away. And that's exactly what we say when we come to this table. I mean, you, you have seen the world out there. You have seen that, I hope you have seen, that Democrats and Republicans offer no hope for a better world, right? I mean, the, the nations of this world are, are just insistent on growing weaponry and killing one another off. And we're saying something different when we come to this table. So when we come here, it is for the salvation of all of us, the salvation for all of creation. We're saying something different. So what exactly is Psalm 124 about? Psalm 124 is a psalm of ascent. The psalms of ascent are short folk songs. They were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they traveled to Jerusalem for feasts. If you look at the psalm, you can imagine being on a pilgrimage. It might be dangerous. It might be long. And the Psalter is saying, look back. Look at how far you have come. If the Lord hadn't been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. Their anger would have flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. Raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to God who has not let us been torn apart by their teeth. You can almost hear the, uh, the uh, Israelites in the desert in Exodus. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us into this desert to starve this assembly of death. You can almost hear people complaining on this pilgrimage as the, as the Psalter reminds them, think about how far you have come. The speaker wants to remind them. 
The speaker reminds them where they have come from, reminds them where they are going, and most importantly, the speaker reminds them that God is their help. Amen? Semi-famous hipster pastor Rob Bell says, God goes with us, God is for us, God is moving ahead of us. In Alcoholics Anonymous, the prompt when you get up to share is, tell me about your life before alcoholism, and tell me about your life since coming to the program. If you have never gone to an AA meeting, they are free, you can go, and you will hear some of the best stories you've ever heard. You will hear some dark stories, but they are stories filled with hope. And we live in the hope of this. God is with us. God is for us. God is moving ahead of us. As I wrote this week, I thought a lot about the 13 years that Laura and I have attended this church. And I started to think about nostalgia. Like there's a lot of things from the last 13 years in this church that I really miss. I wrote some of them down. I miss Justin Little leading music. You may not know Justin Little, but he was my friend. He is my friend. Uh, I miss having dinner with Scott and Heidi Haskins. I miss talking to Nicole Jones. I miss Pat coming to church and sitting in the front row. Now, if you don't know Pat, we've been talking about you know, visiting her when she's in a home right now. Pat has had a hard life. Uh, Pat could be eating ice cream, getting her feet rubbed, and she would be complaining. <laughs> Am I wrong? That's Pat. Pat has had a hard life. For some reason, though, the room is different with Pat sitting in the front row. I would get so excited to see her. I'd be like, Pat, you're here. And then she would complain. Nobody cares about me. And I'm like, well, somebody picked you up and bought you breakfast and brought you here this morning. This is going to sound really weird. I think, I think this is weird. Maybe you can relate. And I say this without, you know, as I say this, I want to acknowledge that it's messed up and that there's like another side to this coin. I've been having COVID quarantine nostalgia lately. Um, I remember, you know, my wife and I have lived in our house for 10 years and, and we had lived there, you know, six or seven as, as COVID hit. And that was the first time that I walked up and down the street and like introduced myself to all the neighbors. I was like, hey, do you need anything? Groceries, like there was some, there's some elderly people on our block. Hey, if you, if you get sick, here's my number, text me. I miss making sourdough. I miss, I remember this feeling of um, like coming home and being excited that nobody's gonna ask me to do anything that night. Like so, ex like yeah, nobody's gonna call me for any reason. That's awesome. Drew, who played music with me a couple weeks ago, he, um, he would get super depressed in the morning, kind of staring down the gauntlet of the day. And I would get super depressed at night, kind of as it got dark, thinking about like, how are we gonna get out of this? And we would call each other every day. I would call him in the morning, hey, are you okay? He would call me at night, hey, are you okay? 
Like we really bonded over that. But I can't acknowledge that nostalgia, as I said, without also being like, come on, it was horrible. Because people were sick and people were dying. Like, and, you know, and I got to stay home and do nothing because I have a union job and I was like getting paid. But people were delivering food to my house, like under wage slavery. Like, I'm sorry that the whole world is shut down, but some people were going to work to get us groceries. I don't know if you remember, but um, we had our first meeting back as a church was outside on the blacktop, right? And I remember getting about 20 minutes into that meeting and cringing a couple times and realizing like, oh, we're really not practiced at being together. Like we're really, you know, it's gonna be hard to like get back and like be together. And I say that to myself as well because I was in the back drinking a beer out of a paper cup. And I was like, this is really not acceptable. <clears throat> when you think about nostalgia, there is a lyric from Fugazi that says, you can't be what you were so you better start being what you are. It's funny, I texted my buddy Chris yesterday, who's uh, not a Christian, big Fugazi fan. He's toured the country with his band, Dangers. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm talking to my church about Fugazi tomorrow. And he said, you better tell them you can't be what you were, so you better start being what you are. And I was like, I'm going to say that. I already typed it in. When we talk about nostalgia, when we talk about mountainside, this question a lot of people have been asking, and, and, and not even asking in like a negative, complaining way, but just asking, what exactly is mountainside about? Like I know, I think my wife is on the leadership team, and she said there's a meeting coming up where that's like one of the questions that's going to be asked, like, what is mountainside? Because when I think about Justin Little and Scott and Heidi Haskins and Nicole Jones and Pat, that for me, was Mountainside, is Mountainside, but that's not Mountainside now. I mean, those people are still connected to us. None of those people, uh, you know, those people are still in contact with us. There's, you know, it's not, it's not controversial or shady. That ain't, you know, I think all of those people live out of state now except for Pat, who's living in a home. So there's nothing, like, negative there, but, like, I long for that time, and yet... That's not where we are now. We're different now. What exactly is Mountainside about? Well, we say every week, Micah 6.8, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. I hope and I believe because we take Eucharist every Sunday. Hi, kids. Come on in. I hope that we're about the politics of this table, coming together to share a meal. What a beautiful thing that is when you, when you read the words in 1 Corinthians 11 about coming together to share in the meal. You know, we started the IRC, which is this beautiful, beautiful thing, and it's really taken off, gotten bigger than Mountainside, you know. Um, and yet, I don't think starting, I remember the early conversations around the IRC, and I don't think the IRC started to fix the immigration issue. 
The IRC was started as a connection to the politics of this table, welcoming IRC as, for those of you who are new, Immigration Resource Center. And the IRC is an extension of this table, welcoming our brothers and sisters. I love the community garden outside. I used to be on the community garden uh, leadership team, but I don't think the goal of the community garden is to grow prize-winning tomatoes and strawberries. The garden is an extension of the bread and wine at this table that we share with one another. There's a resurrection message at the end of Psalm 124, at least a resurrection message for us today. We have escaped like a bird from the snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It doesn't say that they never dealt with the snare or the hard times. They did. They were in the snare, right? But they have escaped. We're going to take Eucharist in a minute. And once again, I love that we do it every Sunday. Our, our music, our songs are different every Sunday. The speaker is different. The message is different every Sunday. Uh, there's different announcements every Sunday. But this remains. Like, this is the constant. This is what we come here to do. It, you know, if Psalm 124, we've, I've said this before, and I stole this from Craig Keene anyway, and he stole it from Alexander, my mom probably, but our pilgrimage each week is to the Eucharist table. You've been pilgrimaging toward this table all week, and when you leave here, you will be pilgrimaging back here next Sunday. Not next Sunday, we're at the beach the Sunday after that. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to take Eucharist together. And as you take Eucharist, remember we have escaped like a bird. The snare has been broken. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Thanks be to God.